Hello, it's Steph. You may know me better as Moving Forward, Looking Forward from Instagram or Facebook or my new and improved shortened version, MFLF. Today I'm chatting about mental health and before I begin, I want to let you know that there's going to be a couple of things that I discussed during this podcast that may be triggering. I'm talking about issues to do with suicide and self-harm. So I want you to have a think about whether or not you're in the right space right now to listen to my podcast and obviously be aware of the supports that are available to you if you're not feeling great after listening to it. You can contact places like Beyond Blue on 1300 or Lifeline on 131114. And I'll pop the links to those numbers in the comments section on my podcast. But I also want you to know that I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a GP, anything at all. So I'm not able to give you information based on anything other than my pure experiences. So please keep that in mind as well. When I was writing the notes for this podcast, I was actually trying to work out how much I was wanting to share about my journey regarding mental health. It's been very interesting. It's actually probably something I could write a book about because as I was writing my notes, mental health has impacted me for a majority of my life. I can remember dealing with a lot of things from the age of 10. And these days it's a lot more acceptable if you go up to your mum and dad and say, oh, look, I'm not feeling great or my tummy hurts. They will be able to investigate a little bit more than thinking that you've eaten too many lollies. They might be able to attribute that to you feeling anxious about something or having some concerns that you don't have the words for. But when I was younger, that wasn't really something that was addressed the way it is these days. And when I do chat about things to do with my childhood, I just like to say that I'm not having a go at my parents. I'm not blaming my family. And I basically say this because I know my mum listens to my podcast. So I don't want her to think that she could have done more than what she did. So when I talk about the things that I did as a child, please keep in mind that I was supported and my parents did the best that they could with the situation that was given to them at the time and when you hear some of the things that I went through you'll probably understand the difficulties that they would have had during that time particularly given the fact that the resources we have today weren't available back then. I'm 39 so I was born in 1980 that may give you an idea of the era I'm talking about the first time I tried to kill myself I was a teenager I took my mum's heart tablets and I took a lot of them and I went and laid down on my bed and I waited and I was at home and now that I think about it I shouldn't be laughing because it's not funny but now that I think about it had I have died on that day that would have been horrible for my mother and my father but I just didn't want to be there and I ended up telling my mum that I'd done it because I didn't feel very well of course I didn't feel well because I've just taken tablets that slow your heart down 
So mum took me to the hospital and I was administered charcoal. I wasn't able to drink it because it made me feel like vomiting, but I ended up having to have a nasal gastric tube inserted so that they could give me the charcoal, which would bind the tablets, which in turn would make sure that I was well. When I did this, I was accused of attention seeking and... I've heard that term a couple of times, not so much directed at me now as I've gotten older, but when I was younger, a lot of people said that that's what I was trying to do. And hopefully now that I'm older and I've had an official diagnosis of a mental illness, people understand that I wasn't attention seeking. I literally did not want to be there. And it's really hard when you're a child or a teenager trying to explain to someone what's going on in your head because you don't have the words and back then it wasn't as acceptable to be able to say those sorts of things and be taken seriously like it is today. The second time I tried to kill myself was when I was an inpatient in a mental health facility. I was 16 and I stole one of my friend's tablets. He came in to visit me and he was an epileptic so I stole his tablets which was really not very nice of me when I'm saying these things out loud I'm actually thinking oh my god what were you doing I took heaps of them I can't remember how many but I remember going to a group because we had different groups that we needed to participate in at the hospital and that's all I really remember I remember sitting on the floor but I don't remember much else I woke up to a nurse giving me a blood test. Now, this is why I'm afraid of needles. I jolted my arm and the needle went right into my arm and I ended up with the biggest bruise. When I woke up, I had my bear with me and his name's Pa. I still sleep with my bear. (laughs) I love him. And I was covered in vomit and I was naked. And I don't really remember how I got there. I have written to the hospital asking to see my records, but because it was longer than 10 years ago, they don't have those records anymore. And I even wrote to the psychiatrist that I saw at the time to ask them what sort of information they could give me. And they didn't have anything either. Once again, those records have been destroyed. I have asked my parents, I'm not going to ask them again because I understand that that would be hard for them to talk about but they won't give me a lot of information. So it's really difficult because I've got all these questions about what I was doing at that time and the sorts of issues that I was going through but no one can really answer them. So I've I've managed to close that door and move on from that but when I was in that hospital apparently, and I don't believe it at all, my blood test had traces of heroin. Now, I've never taken heroin in my life. One of the girls that I was sharing a room with in the hospital was smoking heroin. She used to go down to Chapel Street and get her heroin. And maybe that's why I had that. But it was really hard for me to try and convince everyone, hey, look, I don't do drugs. When A, I've just overdosed on a whole bunch of tablets and B, I'm a pathological liar, which as you would have heard in my previous podcast, I used to lie a lot. I don't now. My life is too exciting to have to tell lies about any of it. But no one believed me. And I hope 
people believe me now because it's it's not something I've ever tried and not something I ever have an intention of trying. It was really hard to be taken seriously when I was behaving the way that I was. When I was 10, this is my earliest memory of feeling the way I did. My dad gave me a pocket knife and I carved the words cruel world into my arm. I remember doing it and I remember hurting when I did it and everything hurt. And that's when I started self-harming. And it was, I'm trying to think of the words. I don't have any words when I think about that memory. It was really hard feeling like that because I didn't know what that was at the time. I wasn't living in the world today where, you know, you can see that sort of stuff on YouTube and you've got people who share those sorts of pictures on Instagram and you've even got people who get famous by sharing their scars and self-harm pictures. So for me, it was just confusing and it was scary and... I remember covering it up and making sure that I looked after it because I didn't want anyone to see it. I didn't want people to know what I'd done. But I know at the time it felt good. And I've struggled with self-harm ever since. As an adult, I've definitely managed to curb cutting. I don't cut anymore. I haven't cut for many years. But I do pick up my thumb when I'm stressed and I actually do it when I don't even realize I'm doing it so at the moment I've got a band-aid on my thumb because I've been picking at it for the last few days and I only realized that the other night when I was cooking and it stung I'm like oh my gosh I've picked my thumb but when I get really really upset I often tend to scratch my arms or my face it's a a knee-jerk reaction so this is not something that I realize I'm actually doing until I've done it, until my face stings or until my arms sting. And I'm really getting better at curbing the way that I deal with intense stress. And I have to be really, really upset to get to that point. But when you start learning those sorts of behaviors, they become coping strategies and things that you do in place of better ideas, which I've learned to adapt better ideas, but I've had to practice them and I've had to have a plan the whole entire time. So it's been, yeah, very interesting, but I'll I'll chat about that during my podcast. I was diagnosed with postnatal depression when I was 21. It wasn't until after I left my partner that I realized it wasn't really a lot to do with postnatal depression. It was probably just the relationship that I was in and As soon as I split up with him, I started to thrive. When I was 28, after I had my twins, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression then. And that's when it got really bad for me. I was in a very, very bad state. And that's when I started getting different diagnosis for the things that I was going through. And when I was diagnosed with one particular thing, Everything in my teenage years made sense. So I ended up going into a private hospital after I was quite sick with the twins. And when I use the word sick, I'm talking about feeling depressed and suicidal and anxious. I do use that word in place of any other because mental illness is 
is an illness and you do feel sick and using the word sick you actually are able to normalize being mentally ill so if I have a cold I will say to you hey look I feel really sick and it's the same with depression if I'm down I'll say I don't feel well because I think it's important that we start using normal words for this so that it does start to seem a lot more normal than what a lot of people think it is. So I was in a private hospital and the psychiatrist who was treating me at the time wouldn't let me have any Valium, which was really difficult because I was having panic attacks and she was trying to teach me different ways of dealing with things and I was not in a very good state at all. So I went to the group that we were supposed to have and I was freaking out and anyway, long story short, I ended up having a meeting with her telling her that I no longer wanted to be treated by her and the laws are currently that if you want to see a different psychiatrist in that same hospital, you have to be discharged for, I think it's a week, I can't remember, it's been a long time since I was in that position. So I was shifted from one hospital to another private hospital. I was actually in the eating disorders unit of that hospital, not because I'd been diagnosed with an eating disorder, mind you. That's simply where they had a bed. And it was hard because I was walking around with a lot of girls who obviously had eating disorders such as anorexia and bulimia. And I was 200-odd kilos, so... The beds weren't hospital beds and one of the beds that I was on, I broke. I broke the casters when I was sitting on the edge of it. So I actually took all the casters off so I didn't break anymore. Anyway, my doctor came in the next morning and asked me what I'd done with the coasters on the bed. Why were they off? And I think he was expecting some kind of really interesting answer to confirmed that I was going insane but when I said look I'm just too fat for the bed they wheeled a hospital bed in and they took out the bed that I'd broken so I no longer had to battle with the the flimsy bed for someone my weight but I was in there for about a week and a half and then I was transferred back to the hospital that I'd left and I began seeing my current psychiatrist and he is incredible I've been seeing him now since 2009 and the work I've done with him has just just been phenomenal. He is such a wise man and when I first met him I didn't particularly warm to him at all. I'd heard amazing things about him but he used to close his eyes when I was talking to him and I thought, oh my gosh, you're falling asleep but I actually realised that he's doing that so that he shuts off everything else he's only listening to me he's taking in what I'm saying but at the time I thought oh my gosh you're a really rude man here I am sharing all my stuff with you and you're not even listening but he's amazing he's done amazing things for me and and I'm blessed to have found him my longest hospital admission was eight weeks and during that time I was diagnosed with a condition called borderline personality disorder And I remember when I was diagnosed with this, the first time I'd ever heard of borderline personality disorder was on a movie called Girl Interrupted. And you may know that movie and it's actually one of my favorite movies. And when I was diagnosed with it, I I didn't agree with it. I did not 
think that it was something that I had, but this was before I researched it. And when I researched it, I realized that that was me. And as with all diagnosis that you are given, you don't necessarily tick every single box. So borderline personality disorder, and I'm just reading this from a website called yourhealthmind.org, is being prone to fear that other people might leave you. So it's fear of abandonment having relationships that are usually intense or unstable, being very unsure about themselves, not really knowing who they are or what to think about themselves, taking risks or acting impulsively in ways that could be harmful. For example, not thinking before spending money, risky sexual behavior, risky drug or alcohol use, driving recklessly or binge eating, repeatedly harming themselves, showing suicidal behavior or talking and thinking about committing suicide experiencing short-lived but intense emotional lows or times of irritability or anxiety. This is usually for a few hours at a time but can sometimes last longer. Experiencing a persistent feeling of being empty inside. Experiencing anger that is unusually intense and when stressed becoming highly suspicious of others or experiencing unusual feelings or being detached from their own emotions, body or surroundings. And when I went through that, list I I'm like wow that's me and I felt relieved I was happy to actually have a name for the things that I had been feeling ever since I was young and whilst it was scary reading all those things thinking oh my gosh am I going to keep doing these as I get older or am I going to ever be able to to stop having these types of behaviors I was also happy to hear that you can grow out of it. And one thing that isn't actually mentioned in that list is black and white thinking. There's only right or there's only wrong. And a couple of years ago when I was sitting with my psychologist just chatting, she said to me, look, I no longer believe you have borderline personality disorder because I was no longer thinking in black and white. And as someone who used to do that, it's really hard to actually determine whether or not you do do that because you can't actually see yourself but as I think about some of the conversations I had with her I can definitely see when I started to change my way of thinking and the way that I viewed the world and she consulted with my psychiatrist and sure enough borderline personality disorder or BPD was removed from my list of quirks as I lovingly call them. I was also diagnosed with bipolar 2 and this made me very, very angry. I remember um, actually disagreeing with the diagnosis that I'm being given. I didn't do it rudely, but I was quite annoyed at the fact that I had been branded. And now that I think back to it, It was simply because I was ignorant as to what bipolar 2 was. So bipolar, there's three main different types. Bipolar 1 is manic. So when you're really, really up, then you come down. And people who have bipolar 1 have huge highs. They go shopping and they clean the house and they take on all these tasks and then they crash. And then they go back up again. Um, Bipolar 
rapid cycling is where someone goes up and down, up and down, and they can experience ups and downs several times a day or several times a week or several times a month. So that can be called rapid cycling or just cycling. Bipolar 2 is manic depression. And when I started reading up on what bipolar 2 was, I'm like, yeah, that's me because I just had depression. So I stopped feeling angry at my diagnosis and I started to try and understand it more and how I could fix it. Um, <laughs> now, if I had the answer on to how to fix depression, I I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be in a golden palace full of pug dogs because I'd be a millionaire because everyone wants to know how to fix depression. But no one knows how to fix it, but people have worked out how to manage it. And at the time when I was in hospital, I was on seven different types of medication in the end. I was on one to help me sleep. I was on one to help me feel less anxious, one to help stabilize my moods, one to, I can't even remember now, but I had a whole list of them that I would take. A couple of them I had to take three times a day and that was my life. And when I was discharged from hospital, I was able to go back to work, but literally that's all I could do. I wasn't able to do much else. I went to work and went back to bed and went to work and went back to bed. And it was really hard because I had kids. So that was not a, a quality of life for me or my kids. And and it was really hard. So when I ended up back in hospital again because my tablets weren't working, I was offered a treatment called ECT. Now, ECT, you probably have seen on movies and it actually scares a lot of people. What it is, is it's a procedure that's done under general anaesthetic and there's small electric currents that are passed through your brain and what it's doing is actually triggering a seizure. So it's able to change brain chemistry and it can actually quickly reverse symptoms of certain mental health conditions. TMS was something I hadn't heard of and a lot of people haven't heard of it but TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation and I'm just going to read some information from the blackdoginstitute.org.au on transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's TMS is a mild form of brain stimulation. Magnetic fields generated by a simple coil placed on the head are used to stimulate a small area of the brain. The stimulation, I can't even read today, listen to me. The stimulation takes 20 to 30 minutes and is typically, typically given over consecutive weekdays on an outpatient basis. While receiving stimulation, the patient is fully awake. TMS is usually well tolerated with minimal side effects. There is no anesthetic and memory is not affected. And one reason I didn't want to go with ECT was because I was told that I'd lose my memory. And being in that hospital, seeing people who had had ECT, yeah, they did lose their memory and they forgot your name and they couldn't remember what we had the day before sometimes they'd gain a lot of their memory back sometimes they'd still forget your name and I didn't really want to go through that because there's no way of preempting what sort of things you'd remember and what you'd forget and my main concern was forgetting things about my kids because when you have severe depression like I did you actually don't remember a lot of stuff as it is so I didn't want to forget anything so I opted for TMS and TMS has the same type of outcome but it can take a lot longer to be able to get there 
And TMS is, as I've just read, it's a magnet that they put on your head and you sit there. And I have earplugs so that I don't damage my ears. It's not very loud. It sounds like a a cricket or a little woodpecker. That's actually what it feels like. And you just sit there and you watch Tally and chat to your nurse and then you go and do your own thing. Now, whilst in the Black Dog Institute information on TMS, it does chat about being able to have it as an outpatient. Last time I had TMS, I had it as an outpatient. I won't be able to do that again because when I have TMS, I end up with really bad headaches and I need to have a lot of sleep. So when I have my TMS, I go in normally on a Friday evening and I have one treatment then. I have two treatments on Saturday and I have two on Sunday and then I go home. And I'm okay until probably my third treatment and that's when my headache kicks in and that's when I need to sleep. So I literally eat and have TMS and shower. That's all I do. And between my first and third treatment, I watch a lot of Netflix and I read because there's not much more that I can do. When I'm studying, I bring my homework in for uni and I try and do as much as I can in there, but sometimes it's a little bit unproductive, but it saved my life. If it wasn't for TMS, I wouldn't be here. And I remember when I had it, I think it was October, and I went and saw my psychiatrist a couple of months later and I'd taken myself off my medication because my medication made me feel worse than it was making me feel good. And I walked into his office and he asked me how I was feeling and I told him I felt great. And he said, oh, good, the medications are working. And I said, no, I've actually stopped taking them. And by the way, please, no one ever do that because it's really stupid. Um, And he was not pleased with me at all and neither was my GP. But he looked down at me and he lowered his glasses and he said, a relapse is imminent. And I remember feeling so frightened at that time because I was feeling on top of the world. And here he is telling me that you're going to end up feeling awful again. So he wanted to see me in a month. I went and saw him and I was still feeling good. And then I saw him again another month later, still feeling good. Six years later, still feeling good, but only because I work hard for it. I keep up with my four monthly TMS treatments. I make sure I get enough sleep. I make sure I eat well. I exercise. I drink my water. I get my sunshine. I stay away from really stressful situations when possible. I listen to my body. I practice mindfulness. It's a whole lot of stuff that I've needed to learn over the past six years to stay well. And I'm not always well. There are some times where I crash The last time was last year and I was made aware that one of my family members had cancer and I ended up crashing. I ended up feeling depressed and my definition of a crash is when I stay in bed for three days in a row. So I'll wake up feeling crappy and I'll have a doona day. So I stay in bed all day reading, watching Netflix, just hiding under my blanket Um, I'll be able to put a lot of washing on or have a shower. I make sure I do as much as I can. But if I have three of those days in a row, I contact my psychiatrist and I then go in and I have treatment. So I have my four monthly treatment, but I also sometimes require treatment in between then. And it's hard work staying well. And when I do crash, it's, (laughs) it's like 
if I woke up tomorrow and I'd had a low, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it felt like to be happy. You actually, in my experience, forget what it's like to feel joy or feel good about yourself. And it's hard to remember what sort of things you enjoy doing in your spare time. And it's really hard feeling like that, especially when things are going so well and life is peachy. And then you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, yeah, life's shit and I don't want to get out of bed. And it's hard to, to comprehend that, I imagine, from someone who doesn't experience that. But it's so real. And that's why I share my story because a lot of people look at me, do my stuff, and they think that I'm a superhero but I'm not, I'm a normal person who's got normal issues and mental illness being one of those normal issues. I make sure, as I said, that I do things to keep myself well. So I still see my psychiatrist. I see him every four months or so. I did cancel my appointment last month because I am feeling fine. Knock on wood. I always do that um, when I say I'm feeling well, but I know that he's got a huge waiting list and I wanted to make sure that someone else could have access to my appointment. I don't see the the point in going in there and saying, hey, I'm awesome, things are going great, and then leaving when there's people who aren't doing well. So I know that those appointments are given to those who are on an urgent waiting list. I see my psychologist every six weeks. She is incredible. I've been seeing her since I think it's 2000 and. 10 and I was initially referred to her to speak to her about my weight loss surgery and it's funny after that initial consult we haven't really spoken a lot more about weight we've had many other things to address and she's been fantastic I've done so much work with her and I still see her even if I don't need to. So I always have that appointment booked in. And even if I'm feeling well, I go and chat to her about how things are. I debrief, I bounce ideas off her about the sorts of things that I'm going through at the moment, new challenges that I'm facing. And it's been great working with her. And it's also great still seeing her when I am well, because I hope she gets enjoyment from seeing me where I am right now as opposed to where I was six years ago when I couldn't leave the house. Literally, I, I didn't leave the house for a number of months other than to go and get milk or bread to the point where I actually had to put my twins in crash because I couldn't look after them, let alone myself. So it's been a really, really tough time. It's been hard and... On that note, regarding children, I remember one of my family members was really concerned at the fact that I was telling my children that I have a mental illness. And as I responded to them, how else am I supposed to explain the fact that I'm going to hospital every four months if I don't tell them what's going on? My kids know that I have a mental illness. They know if I'm feeling down, it's not their fault that I am okay and they understand that I go into hospital to have my treatment and when they were very young I used to say that I was going in because I had headaches but now that they're older I explain what those headaches actually are that I don't feel great and it's okay to not feel great all the time and 
I really like to have that open dialogue with them. My TMS, my treatment is no different to a treatment for, say, cancer or for liver disease or anything else that other people go in for, iron infusions. It's a treatment that keeps me well. And I think it's really important to have those open discussions with your kids about the things that you're going through, obviously at a, an appropriate age level and also with consultation from your psychologist or, or your GP. But I don't want my kids to think it's their fault. If I wake up in the morning and I can't get out of bed, I don't want the twins to think, oh my gosh, what have I done to mum to make her not be able to get up? It's such an important thing that they're made aware of what's going on and why they feel like that or why I feel like that and that it's okay and it will be okay. So I still do have panic attacks and things like that. They're not as frequent as they used to be but I actually had one on Saturday. I was at the movies and I was going to see Aladdin and there were a lot of people there. And I didn't like that. It made me feel really uncomfortable. There was too much noise. I didn't want people brushing past me. I felt claustrophobic. Everything got too much. So I ended up leaving and I sat in my car and I called Beyond Blue because I wasn't able to come down from where I was at. I was hyperventilating. I wasn't able to regulate my breathing. It was quite scary because when you're feeling like that, you actually feel like you're going to (laughs) die. It's a really horrible feeling and it's scary, especially when you haven't had one for as long as I haven't. Last one I had was in August or September last year. So having to deal with something like that when it's been so long is confronting but I've got a list of things that I do I normally call my best friend she was out so I messaged one of my other friends she wasn't online so I ended up calling Beyond Blue and they are there 24 7 and you can call them as many times as you need and they know exactly what to do and how to help you and within half an hour I was off the phone and I felt as best as I could I went home and I stayed off my phone and my computer and I just had some downtime uh, time to focus on me I read a book I watched a funny show and just just chilled and relaxed because I think a lot of the time we forget that we need to look after ourselves and we don't always have to be on the go and in saying that I don't have too much on at the moment I've got some incredible things going on in my life right now really really exciting amazing things but as the guy on the phone said to me when you are stressed your body doesn't differentiate between good stress or bad stress all it does is realizes hey you've got a lot going on you're not feeling great so I'm going to crash and I didn't actually think of it that way so I've really started putting into place the things that I used to do to stay well and I sort of dropped a couple of them because life gets busy so on Sunday I went to body balance I haven't been there for months And I have made sure I've been going to bed on time. I've been practicing my mindfulness during the day. So I have 10 minutes of relaxation time. And I've also been having my showers to not a long shower, but I actually do practice my deep breathing in the shower as well. So the little things that I dropped 
are making a huge difference to my well-being. So that's why I picked them back up again. But I shouldn't have let it get to the point where I had a panic attack before I realized, hey, you've got to look after yourself just as much as what you look after others. So I've been able to focus a lot more on the things that I should be doing. And and I'm glad it happened the way it did because it's my body saying, what are you doing? You're not looking after yourself. You need to, to start focusing on things that keep you well again. So when I signed up for my 10K run, which is in July, I noticed that I was able to do some fundraising for various places. And on Sunday after sitting on the phone to that guy from Beyond Blue, I decided I wanted to raise funds for Beyond Blue because I want people to be able to access their service the way they deliver it now. So if you're not familiar with Beyond Blue, you're actually able to talk to them on the phone and they also have an online chat service. And I think that those services are so important because when I was really, really unwell, I was seeing my psychologist weekly and if she wasn't available, obviously I'm not able to talk to her during the week between appointments, but in a crisis when I needed to talk to someone, I was able to access the service of Beyond Blue. So they would help me get through from point A to point B. And it was, it was, how do I say it? really comforting and reassuring knowing that I wasn't on my own even though I felt like it I wasn't I could just pick up the phone and and they were available they also have an email service as well so you can send them an email and they respond to you within 24 hours and they've got their chat forums so you can chat to other people who are going through the same sorts of things as what you are and they've got so many different things that you can access they've got information on mental health and anxiety and depression checklist um, talking about supporting someone talking about self-harm and injury pregnancy postnatal depression they they deal with so many different issues and they offer so much support and I am really really grateful to them for everything that they've done for me and this is one way that I can actually give back to them so on the 28th of July I hope I got the right date oh my gosh I probably didn't I'm so bad with dates and times I think it is 28th or 27th of July I'm going to be running my 10ks for Beyond Blue and I in the last 12 hours have had $188 raised which is awesome and I am so grateful for everyone who has donated so far and I am so proud to be able to run for them and make a difference to others because mental health isn't easy it's hard and there's still such a stigma associated with it you can't even fill out a a job application these days without being asked a question about mental health and you think oh should I answer that in that way because is that going to reflect badly on me there's so much so much stigma associated with it and I look forward to the day where I can tell people, hey, look, I've got bipolar and they're not going to look at me like I'm going to stab them or throw a chair at them. (laughs) I look forward to being able to say that and they treat me just like I've got a broken arm. Oh, you know, how long until you're feeling better or how did that happen or can I do anything? Do you want me to get you a coffee? You know, just 
I look forward to that day. And I know I'll be around for it because things are improving. It's getting so much better and you've got people who are in the limelight sharing their stories and telling people what it's like because until you actually experience it or have someone close to you who is experiencing it it can actually sound so surreal that I'll use that word people think you're seeking attention or you're trying to get out of doing something you don't want to do and it's not like that at all you feel trapped and afraid and when I experience a low I feel like my life has been interrupted And it's frustrating because I just want to get out there and do stuff. But I just don't feel like it. But I can't explain why. So on that note, I want to make sure that everyone's feeling okay. I've shared a lot of stuff today. I wasn't actually quite sure how much stuff I would share. But I want you to make sure you look after yourself. And please access those services if any of what I've spoken about has triggered you. There are people who are around to talk to and the numbers I've given are Australian numbers. So if you are overseas, please access one of the services that can assist you in your area. But I want to end up on this quote and I'll also give you my email address and things like that like I normally do. But there's a picture that goes around a lot on Facebook and it's so true. You never know what someone is going through. Be kind always. So those days where you're walking down the street and you see someone looking down, give them a smile. You don't know how much of a difference that's going to make to them. Maybe they are one of those mums who hasn't been able to leave the house for weeks and they're buying milk and they don't want to be out because they feel horrible. But if you smile at them, that that may make them feel better. It might make their day. There are so many people going through things that we know nothing about. So just being kind will make all the difference to everyone and also make you feel better as well. If you have any topics you'd like me to chat about, feel free to get in touch. I've got a couple of different emails now, but I'll give you my Gmail one. It is stephmflf at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with me on Instagram or Facebook. My username is moving forward, looking forward. And I've also got a website now. Feel free to go and check it out. It's mflf.com.au. And if you've got any suggestions, any feedback, any comments, anything like that at all, I love to hear it. I hope today's been helpful. It's scary sharing the amount of stuff that I have, but... I share it on my Instagram in bits and pieces anyway, but I hope it's helped give people an insight to who I am and some of the struggles I've been through. And obviously I've just totally touched the surface. I haven't gone into things. There's no need for me to, but I want you to realize that it's real and a lot of people go through it, but we can all make a difference together. On that note, have a a great day, morning, afternoon, night, whatever it is, wherever you are in the world. And I look forward to chatting to you all soon. Take care.